Welcome to the latest in a series of podcasts, Quebec meetings and panels presented by my colleagues at Brown Rudnick, giving practical insight into the legal issues directly affecting our clients today. My name is Tim Davison and I am a partner in the corporate team at Brown Rudnick based in London. I'm also joined by my colleague Nick Davies, who, as part of our London team, has been assisting various clients in navigating the application process and speaking with them about their experiences so far. Brown Rudnick is an international boutique law firm in Europe and the US of over 250 lawyers working on complex cross-border transactions and specialising in certain sectors of which technology is a particular focus. The purpose of this is not to go into the minutiae of the future fund scheme eligibility criteria, which we assume will already be familiar to those listening, but rather examine what has been learned from applications made so far and practical steps and lessons learned that could help investors and companies when proceeding with their own applications. Nick, to kick things off, please could you give us a quick oversight on where we are currently with the Future Fund. Absolutely, Tim. So the UK government's long-awaited Future Fund launched on Wednesday, 20th of May. The fund, which has been capped at £250 million, uh, is targeted at innovative companies which are facing financing difficulties due to the coronavirus outbreak and comprises between 125,000 to 5 million pounds of match funding uh, to companies who have been able to find the same amounts from their investors. Uh, it's been touted as a first come first served process uh, and I understand that the fund received applications for more than 450 million pounds within the first 24 hours of the scheme going live on Wednesday. Uh, although the UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak has previously stated that the fund could well be extended beyond £250 million if it was seen to be sufficiently successful. So I guess we'll see what happens there. In, in advance of the fund launch, significantly more info was provided on Monday, the uh, 18th of May, on the British Business Bank website for investors, companies and solicitors, as well as a copy of the draft convertible loan note. Tim, what would, what would you say are the key messages that you've gleaned from uh, everything that's been released by the government this week? I think there are four particular takeaways from the announcements and information now provided. Firstly, all applications must be submitted via an online portal. While you're right to say it's a first-come, first-served basis, Nick, it's worth noting that where a single investor makes multiple applications on behalf of different investee companies on the same day, it is likely that only one application from that investor will be processed due to the overwhelming volume of applicants. Therefore, since there is flexibility when determining who the lead investor will be, we would advise companies to check which of their investors are making other applications and appoint the most suitable lead investor accordingly. I'd also add that as far as we can tell, there does not appear to be any issue with making multiple applications. But in light of how quickly applications are being made, we would advise companies to focus on their first application. Second, and perhaps surprisingly, lead investors are the ones who make the initial application and not the company itself. Once the lead investor has certified that the eligibility criteria are met, the company then confirms the accuracy of the details provided and then submits the full application. Third, as we might have expected, the convertible loan note agreement is essentially non-negotiable. While the interest rate could theoretically be revised upwards for all in lenders, including the government, the government simply does not have the bandwidth to negotiate with so many investors. This is good news for companies as it means that the terms of the loan can be more quickly presented, digested and agreed with their investors. Fourth is the stated intention for the Future Fund to be promoting diversity. The Future Fund has signed and is encouraging companies to sign the Investing in Women Code to support the advancement of female entrepreneurship in the UK. The Future Fund will also request that applicants disclose the gender mix and ethnicity mix of management teams and the region in which they are each based and will publish these anonymised and aggregated statistics 
once a meaningful amount of data has been received. Lastly, investments providing match funding will not be able to benefit from EIS or SEIS treatment. There has been much talk and lobbying from certain companies and investors to try and extend the Future Fund to include such tax advantage schemes. However, we understand that for now at least, this was rejected because it was felt that this would require a change to the current law, creating additional delay which the government wished to avoid. For those already holding EIS or SEIS investments, it is worth noting that the government has confirmed that the conversion of the loan notes into shares will not affect the tax status of any such investments. Further, it is understood that the government intends to revise the SEIS and EIS rules to ensure that any existing such investments will similarly not be affected by any future redemption of the loan. Finally, investors should be aware that following conversion of the loan, the relevant investor will not be entitled to make any further SEIS or EIS qualifying investments in the investing company. While on the topic of tax, I would also flag that VCT reliefs are not expressly discussed in the Future Fund guidance. However, our expectation is that the Future Fund will not be compatible with VCT investments. Thanks, Tim. Moving on to the application procedure itself, uh, how have investors and companies been finding this process so far? The feedback we've been receiving is that it's been pretty straightforward and the application process itself is quick. The frequently asked questions section of the British Bank website gives a good overview of the information that investors and companies will need to submit. So provided applicants have read this, they should not find any of the questions or requests for information too onerous. Since the process is investor-led, it will not be possible for companies to make the initial application and then, while that application is being processed, go out to the market and hope to secure the relevant match funding on a speculative basis. Now, while investors need to provide an explanation for why they are seeking funds and what they intend to use the funds for, it is not expected that the government will be making any suitability assessments since they have previously indicated they simply do not have the resources to do this. Two particular pieces of feedback we have received from clients making applications is that, first, lead investors are asked to state that they have the consent of their co-investors to enter the co-investors' details into the application. We would therefore advise that such details are confirmed in advance with the investor group by email at least, and that confirmation is given in this email to such details being used in the application. Secondly, the lead investor is asked to confirm that they understand that by submitting the application, they are aware that this could create a tax liability for them or other investors. Again, this should be considered and agreed upon by each member of the investor group in advance of making the application. Uh, obviously, the, the Future Fund is and has been of great interest to a significant number of companies. There will also be companies out there who have recently raised funding. Would they be able to use that funding for the purposes of securing the matched Future Fund money? Uh, generally speaking, no. The government has expressly stated that only funding raised for the purposes of securing finance from the Future Fund will be counted. Despite this, there are a few exceptions which might be considered. The first of these are convertible instruments or new equity funding rounds under which the company has yet to receive the investment. Such funding terms could in theory be renegotiated and then such funding used as part of the match funding application. The second possible exception is where companies have already received funding, but for example, the terms of such funding allow an option for the company to repay the funding early, such as a convertible loan note. Here, the company could seek to renegotiate the terms of such loan with the investors and cancel the investment by repaying the sums received. This would then allow these funds to be reinvested as part of the future fund application for matched funding. I see. Uh, thanks, Tim. So once an application has been made, I guess the million dollar question or 125,000 to 5 million pound question is how long will companies have to wait to actually receive the matched funding? 
Well, it's a good question. Um, we know the government is targeting a turnaround of three weeks from the date of the application to a decision being made. However, with the vast number of applications already seen, we wouldn't be surprised if this target is not achieved and companies should budget accordingly. While the period for applications remains open until the 30th September of this year, we do not expect any funds to be left by such time in light of the avalanche of applications received in just the first 24 hours. However, with the possibility that the fund could be extended and a number of applications are likely to be rejected, applicants should continue to pursue funding. It is also worth noting that all companies looking for funding would need to have appointed solicitors to receive the funds on behalf of the company before such solicitors forward those funds on to the company itself. Now, one thing which could create delay from the company's end is obtaining all the relevant consents, waivers and approvals needed to enter into the convertible loaner instrument and undertake the matters contemplated under the instrument. These could include any existing investor consents, ensuring the directors have sufficient authority to allot the shares under the convertible instrument if required, and disapplication or waiver of preemption rights. It does not appear that these approvals and consents need to be in place at the time of the application, but obviously should be prioritised while the application is being processed, as they will be a condition to closing any funding received from the scheme. This would obviously be particularly important for companies with large disparate shareholder bases, to the extent that they didn't manage to obtain the consents in advance of the application. Okay. So we've spoken about the application procedure and potential processing times. Uh, what about the convertible loan document itself, Tim? Uh, anything surprising here? Uh, not really. The instrument itself broadly follows the heads of terms previously published back in April. But there are some new details and obligations which is useful to flag to those listening. First, I would highlight the anti-avoidance clauses that have been included in the draft instrument. These prohibit documents such as side letters or other agreements being entered into by the investee company that could negatively impact the economic effects of the future fund. There are also certain covenants which will need to be read carefully. These covenants include certain ongoing obligations to provide budgets, forecasts, accounts and other financial information regarding the company a prohibition on the company creating senior debt, and a general obligation to always act in good faith towards the future fund. I mention these covenants specifically because any material breach of the covenants would constitute an event of default under the instrument, and this could result in the note holders having the right to demand early repayment of the loan. Companies should also be aware that the government reserves the right to request a meeting with the company prior to conversion of the loan to discuss potential additional governance protections to protect their investment such discussions being held on a good faith basis. However, it is expressly stated in the instrument that there is no obligation to agree any terms, so nothing too much to worry about here from the company's perspective. Interestingly, the government has also reserved a right to seek redemption of the loan or conversion by way of a put option if the government decides that the investment might have a negative impact on the reputation of the government or the future fund itself. Such a right can be exercised in the government's absolute discretion. There is also a new anti-embarrassment clause, which means that if the company affects an exit within six months of a non-qualified financing, where the lenders elected to convert, the lenders are entitled to the additional consideration in cash or otherwise, either at the relevant price of the exit, or if higher, the price they would have received if the loan was repaid, including the redemption premium, on the date of the non-qualifying financing. If anybody listening to this has further questions on any issues raised in this podcast, or more widely about the future fund and the application process, please feel free to contact us. Our details are listed below. Details of future tech matter events can also be found on our website, www.brownrudnick.com forward slash insights. Thank you for listening.